And we're live. Welcome everyone to another episode of Bottled Up. My name is Oshwal and in this week's episode, myself and Sunny chat with Stefano Gunuman. He's a great friend of ours that we met in university and he's actually the leader of a new initiative called the Men Circle. It's a space where men come together and they talk about their emotions in a non-judgmental environment. Um, so yeah, really excited for you guys to hear this one out. We touch on a number of different themes and I guess it really boils down to living a life aligned with your values. We definitely got a lot out of this one, so hope you guys enjoy. Stefano, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I've known you for what, the better half of two years now? What an incredible journey yeah. it's been. Thanks, Sonny. I think it actually has been a bit more than two years. I think it was in April 2018, so we've just ticked over. It's been a good two years. Time flies. <laughs> yeah, um, how are you feeling? How's everything? Good, man. I'm, ha- I'm happy. I got friends around me and I'm sitting here having a good conversation to be, so can't complain. Good. How are you feeling? Feeling good. It's uh, one of our first podcasts. Yeah, excited. Hey guys, this is Ushwal tuning in. Um, I, I also know Stefano. We met like over four years ago now, I before think. Yeah, yeah, even before that. It was what, 2017? Early yeah, 2017, yeah. Yeah, met through uni, it was well, in India, wow, like, now, <laughs> yeah. I'm, now I'm in your house and we're recording this podcast, like, who yeah. knows, we would reconnect like this. You guys are blood brothers. We go way back. Stefano, I wanted to check in, you know, everyone, everyone always asks us, you know, how we're doing, and we often reply back with, you know, doing good, but, you know, we want to take it a step deeper. How are you actually doing? You know, just wanted to check in. Yeah, let me... Let me feel that question for a bit. Um, honestly, I think I'm good. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that what I'm doing right now feels meaningful, and therefore I feel good. Um, I'm a very meaning-oriented person, so the fact that I'm here on this podcast talking about something that's important on a on a podcast theme that's that's really really pivotal for this current time, by the way. So. Mad respect to both of you for putting in the time to bring this to light because I think men's mental health is a really important topic. Um, and it's just kind of unfortunate that society's gone in a direction that isn't conducive to more of it. So the fact that I'm part of it and I can contribute in whatever way, I mean, who knows what kind of story and what meaning I can add to the situation, but it feels good to be here trying. Um, and in line with that, it feels good as well because I know later in the day there's going to be some 10 guys in the house and we're going to be running a men's circle very much on the same theme of cultivating more mm. well-being for men in particular um, and it feels good to be part of that so I'm happy with my current state that, that, that's awesome nicely put and uh, yeah so to give you guys a bit of a context we recently like all the three of us and a few other people were in a men's circle that Stefano started um, and the idea of that pretty much ties in nicely with bottled up it's the idea of men coming together and talking about how they feel, their emotional state of being, and you know what, what's been bothering them or things that they don't feel comfortable talking about in the norm, right? And we, we were all part of that experience, and I, I talked about it in our founder's message, actually, um, and now this is the second one we're doing today. Um, and that obviously shows a lot about how much you care about mental health and the role it's played in your life. Um, but in terms of like going back to square one and where you started, um, I know I met you in India and you were traveling then and you had this huge like phase of like you were pretty focused in uni mm-hmm. and you wanted to be part of like a social enterprise and we both wanted to give back back then um, and go to, go to a different land and see what it's like. Um, what was it like before then or like during university, high school, 
was your yeah take us back (laughs) (laughs) all the way back yeah it does feel like a long time ago now um india was a big big episode in my life it definitely sparked a kind of passion for global consciousness i would i would say obviously the word poverty is is particularly relevant because i think you know everybody knows about poverty and everybody would agree it's not a nice thing to have around but i don't think you can really understand it you can't really connect with it in the way that we ought to until you've lived it and so that's the experience we shared when we did that social enterprise project is we got to live it you know as much as that's possible within a month um and i think the people you know there were some hundred students or something there and definitely people take away different things from the experience and some resonate with the the struggle of that more i feel like i was definitely one of the ones who who connected with that struggle and connected with the people that were living in my particular village and it scarred me in a way you know like i kind of wear that still um and when i think about it i get a little bit wound up which is tempered over time like for for a while i was a kind of passionate ideological I would say almost dogmatic. I would be like, well, how can you not care about this? You know, when I saw people living their normal lives. Um, but that's tempered out over time. And I guess the, the maturity um, and patience with people. Because, you know, they, a lot of people just don't have that experience. Um, so yeah, that was formative for me. Um, and it was definitely kind of a shifting point. I mean, I'd never really cared about many social issues through high school. Yeah. I was very much focused on my thing. Um, and my thing happened to be soccer. That was the biggest part of my life for, yeah, the better part of 17 years. Um, I started when I was about four. So that was a shift. When I started traveling and I started realizing that the world was a lot bigger than my small bubble. Yep. Um, and also that coincided with kind of me stopping soccer or stopping to play seriously, like semi-competitively, semi-pro. So yeah, this whole new world opened up and then suddenly there was all these things that I wanted to get involved in and change really. Um, for whatever reason, I've always been kind of like, I want to get my teeth into something and make a difference. You came, you went to a sports academy, right? For in high school. Yeah. And then you went straight to uni after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how was, how was the environment in, in a sports academy? Like, well, they talk, talk to me about the challenges there. Yeah, um, the sports academy actually was such a brief it was only a, a year. I went there in my final year of high school. So I'd been in one school for five years, from year seven to 11. And then I'd actually wanted to go to this school um, in year nine. I remember having a really big episode with my parents about me wanting to do this thing and follow my dreams and pursue my passions. But being kind of traditional, I don't want to say myopic, but you know, there's, like, there's a template that is expected for you to follow. And so making such a radical shift to go to a school that was further away for uncertain reasons, um, risky reasons really, because to pursue a career in sport is obviously higher risk than just doing the template thing. Um, yeah, so eventually I got my way <laughs> when I developed a bit more of a vocabulary maybe and I kind of earned my parents' trust being a bit older. The 15-year-old me wasn't able to convince them, but the 17-year-old me was. So eventually I just took initiative. I got myself in the school. I went to the trials and I proved I was good enough. And then I went there and then it was, I don't know, maybe quote unquote, you know, it could have been the best year of my life because I quote unquote succeeded 
and was quote unquote productive. You know, like I, I did really well in soccer. Um, I got into the state team. Uh, socially, I was awesome because I just made lots of friends and somehow I managed to fit in with the crowd really well. And also academically, I, I happened to thrive as well. Um, and I got myself into Melbourne University, which was, you know, kind of the parents' expectation. So I won on all fronts. Um, and that's why I say, you know, maybe it was the best year of my life. But I don't think it's fair to say that some years of your life are better than others. I really think it's all part of the journey. But that happened to be a good experience. You, you, you strike me as, you know, the, the two, the couple of years that I've known you, you know, you've become more and more free. And it's like, it's impossible to think, you know, at the start, you strike, you, you strike me as someone who was like already living a very independent life. And, you know, you mentioned something about expectations. And tell me how those two have interacted in your life you know, over the last couple of years, like breaking from expectations and living, you know, a life that aligns with your values. Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was to go real far back, there's some relevance to the religion that I was raised in. So I, my mom's a, you know, she's a Christian woman um, and also a Chinese woman. And both of those are quite important cultural ideals for her. And so that's what I was raised in. But I think, you know, the Christianity thing, it's interesting to note. I, I decided to, like, stop doing that whole thing early, maybe when I was 9, nine, ten, or 11. I just was like, this isn't for me. I'm going to stop going to church. And maybe because I'm the fifth kid, she didn't have the willpower to, <laughs> to like, make me go. Um, but, yeah, that, that's definitely been a theme. And I don't, I don't know if the word rebellious is contentious here, but I would say there's been a kind of rebellious tone through life uh, I think a lot of the teachers that I would have had through school would agree like I wasn't always the most obedient although I wasn't I wasn't disrespectful mm. either I tended to rebel but with a kind of rationale I, I don't know this might be to my own horn mm. but I felt like I kind of made sense mm. and that's been true throughout life and more and more these days I believe that I'm making more and more sense mm. and the way that I gauge that making sense is how, how good do I feel? Like how happy am I living with my life? How much of the things that I'm doing are because I actually want to do them and because they align with my value set and the things I believe in. And how positive do I make people around me is another yeah. good one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that freedom thing. And a lot of freedom, like if you think about it as a spectrum, it's like you get to freedom almost by letting go of people's expectations. Mm. And that tends to make people happy. Like it tends to bring about a, positive, a positivity, um, at least in the people I interact with. Like it, it seems to, you know, for example, we all studied commerce together mm -hmm. at university. I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and there's this thing of like, there's, there just seems to be like a commerce student mold. <laughs> yeah, like there's a, there's a real norm. And then it's really refreshing, you know, obviously, in any case, there's, in any situation, there's exceptions to the rule. And I always find it so refreshing to finally, like, see someone doing that course who wasn't wearing the same kinds of clothes, who wasn't from, like, the same schools. You know, like, there's... I've always loved that. I've always loved, like, the uniqueness of it. And so mm -hmm. I think that's my pull towards, like, letting go of these expectations mm -hmm. and getting closer and closer to freedom, whatever that means. It's interesting because, like, you know, at least all of us, we all studied together. And we're all around a certain set of people, right? And you notice that as you transition throughout university, your friends, you know, they become much more closer to your values mm. and who you're aligned to. 
And that's obviously a massive part. And I remember my parents always telling me, like, you can do whatever you want, but as long as you're surrounded by the right people, and it's almost like the diet you put into your life. You know, when you're eating food, it's almost like that diet. It's like people that are in your life play a massive role in who you become. And, you know, those last couple of years of university, I know I've seen you change, you know, be part of numerous clubs and really be aligned with what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. Like, I think just on that last part, becoming more aligned, admittedly, it does come at a cost. Like, it's not easy to step out of people's expectations and go on your own journey because you you know you do those things for a reason like there's they're comfortable and they're reliable you are used to having you know rice for dinner mm. because it, you always could like it's not unusual mm. you know your mum was always going to cook that for you and you know for me another related example is like I went to a plant-based diet mm. and that was challenging because suddenly like oh, my mom can't cook for me as much as she used to, you know? So, like, I, that's just one small example. Like, now I need to work out my own thing. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's just relevant to a lot of what it means to come into your own. Like, mm. there's there's a cost there, mm. and it's challenging. Yeah, it's like the cost of not conforming, taking your own path. And, like, for me specifically, like, we talked a lot about this in high school, this idea of this two parts. Everyone does one thing, and our idea should be that we shouldn't conform, right? But then somehow I found myself doing what everyone was doing. I was doing exactly what I thought I wouldn't do. And I'm sure a lot of people were in that boat. So I think it's very easy for a lot of people to talk about these things and hear about them, but actually doing it is completely different. And you know, doing it, being hands-on yeah. and taking the risks, that's a completely different thing. Um, and I think, like, do you think it's something that's innate within you or do you think you'd really developed it and you had to fight for it to bring it out? Because yeah. like, I think some people are naturally inclined to, you know, challenge the norm and be rebellious as you said some people are more like conservative yeah i don't know what you mean it's a really deep question i think because yeah. it's you know nature and nurture is one way to look at it people yeah. people have that debate all the time mm. how much is nature how much is nurture how much is it innate and how much is it is something that you you earned in some sense it's a bit of a tangential thing but i don't actually believe in like a fundamental free will so i, I kind of think in like deterministic terms so on some level it is innate like it was innate to myself my genetics my temperament which i was born with and on a more external level it was also just innate in the flow of events like i was always going to go to the schools that i went to i was always going to meet the people that i met and i was always going to develop the attitudes that i developed like there's nothing there's no changing that yeah um but yeah i mean i think that an interesting point to add there is that it is inexplicable. Like there's, there's no way to really understand why I make the decisions I make. And I like that because at the same time, you can't blame other people for decisions they make. Yeah. That's my kind of life affirming part about not believing in free will is that there's no place for blame. There's only a place for acceptance. Yeah. There's only a place of like experiencing the, the dance of life. Mm -hmm. And there's no ill will to be held. It's like, I just am the way that I am and you're the way you are. We're just doing this thing together. There's this whole life journey thing. And yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that I did the whole rebellious thing and I, I do the whole rebellious thing, but obviously that's not everyone's cup of tea. But it'd be fair to say, like, do you think you're in a better place right now than you were potentially two years ago? 100%, 100% yeah. Right. Like, yeah, there's something really, really unique 
indescribably beautiful about discovering who you could be. Exactly. And I, I don't know, I think that's, that's, that's kind of like a fundamental right, I believe anyway, this is obviously an opinion, but I think everybody should become who they might be. Mm. And I think not doing that is to let expectations stop you, to let norms stop you, to let fear stop you. And do you think, you know, you know, at least for us, you know, you and I will draw, you know, we've had the chance to work on this podcast for a while and, you know, we've interviewed each other. And for us, it's almost like we saw these pieces happening throughout the years, like the pieces coming together, like these cogs in motion. Mm-hmm. For you, Stefano, you know, was there a specific point, you know, you know, as you were going through university, or maybe as you made that transition from a sports academy to university, or now that, you know, you're wrapping up with university, is there a specific point that you remember where, you know, oh, shit, like, mm-hmm. I'm realising who I am? Yeah, there's... I think the realizing who you are happens very gradually, at least that's my experience. But there was definitely a moment where, you know, as you say, Ujua, like there's some people who they know who they could be, but they don't, they don't necessarily go and chase it. There's not that like conviction to go and get it. Mm-hmm. For me, that conviction came on the back of a very relevant thing to the podcast, mm-hmm. like a really quite severe experience of burnout and depression and existential lethargy not wanting to wake up, you know, that kind of thing. All, all the typical symptoms of you are worn the fuck down. You know, like life has just gotten the better of you. Your mind has gotten the better of you. And now you're limp. Now you're like a shadow of the person you could be. So I experienced this. And for the second semester of that year, I, I think I just recently separated from my, my girlfriend of the time. She went overseas. And I think I kind of wore that quite heavily. Without knowing it, I really unconsciously compensated, I guess, those joyful, easy moments that I used to have with her with harder, more, quote-unquote, productive moments with work, study. And, yeah, that's that's quite why I, quote-unquote, I quoted productive before, because I really think that's, it's a dangerous term. It's a, it's a dangerous word, and I think there's so many people, especially in the commerce world that we, we studied in, people are, are just going at that word it's like you have to be productive otherwise why are you alive mm. and it's it's horrible and it's also broader than that because it's built into the economic system and the capitalist sentiment and it drives people nuts but yeah so I, 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 I was doing that I was going at it I burnt myself out and fortunately I kind of knew how to get out of it because I'd, um, I'd been on a meditation retreat before and I knew how healing that was I knew how restful that was and I knew how I knew who I could be, essentially, and I, I knew that if I just went on another meditation retreat, I would be good. I would restore myself. Um, but then this meditation retreat was the, was the moment. Mm-hmm. This was me going in there tired, going in there depressed. And I went in there with an attitude of, I'm going to really commit to this practice. Um, and on day four of that meditation retreat, that's kind of when this moment happened. You know, this moment you talk about, Sunny, is... The teacher, Goenka, um, SG Goenka, he does these Vipassana retreats. And on the fourth day, you finally get the instruction for uh, the Vipassana technique. And it's hard to explain how, but it just is a really powerful technique. And so after that hour sitting where he's guiding you through it, I, <laughs> broke, in, I broke down so hard. I, I don't think I've broken down that hard before. I, I walked out of the meditation hall and there are all these people kind of leaving, going to do their things, and it's all silent, so I was really kind of there alone with myself. And I just started sobbing. Actually, there was a trigger for it. 
Um, in meditation, in the meditation world, uh, there's a Sanskrit word, uh, anicca, which is kind of like one of the three fundamental truths of, of meditation practice or Buddhist philosophy. And anicca just means everything is temporary. It's impermanent, impermanence. And so I walked out of that meditation hall and I looked, there was this the most beautiful sunset happening. And I was just struck by it. I got lost in it. And then those words rang in my head, anicca. It's like, it's going to, this too, this, all this beauty is going to go away. And for some reason that triggered tears to just start pouring out of my face. And I had to sit down and I was just sobbing for a good 10, 15 minutes. And during that 10, 15 minutes, that's when I got all the memories of, fuck, look at all this pain that I'm carrying. Like, where did all this come from? It came from that striving for productivity. It came from that, I need to justify my existence. I need to fill that void that maybe I felt from my partner leaving me. And so on the back of that, I made some pretty radical moves. Like I, I pretty much stopped studying. Like I, I had one subject on the go, and even that I ended up dropping out of to do other things. And I was just like, I'm just gonna make myself less busy. That was that was another big thing. I told myself I'm not just I'm not gonna be busy anymore. You know, like I have this friend Al Jeffrey. He he talks about his story with his grandma one time. Like. Every time he calls his grandma, she was like, yeah, like, I'm so busy, busy, busy doing this and that. And his, his, his response is like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry that you're so busy. And I really feel the same. It's like, what are you busy with? Like, when you're doing things you love, you don't really say that you're busy, you know? Busy is like doing work you don't like, you're struggling with things, you got a schedule and you're waking up and you're sleep deprived. It's like, I'm so busy, I'm going to assignments and I go work through. It's like, oh, nah, like that is, that is what causes depression. That is what causes burnout. And that is the shit that drove me up the wall. And that's just what I'm committed to never doing ever again with my whole life. Because you don't, we don't exist. I mean, this is my philosophy, like my opinion, right? But we don't exist in this world to suffer like that. We don't exist in this life to burn ourselves out. So that was that day. That was like the trigger for everything. And you were, you were lucky you had meditation as your resort or as your vehicle to take you into this state of like bliss or well-being, right? So I want to break down like, the idea of meditation or mindfulness a bit more. I think that'd be really good mm. for everyone because I feel for a lot of people, there's a stigma that if you meditate or mindfulness, it's not for the everyday person. It's for someone who's in the Himalayas, who's a monk or something, right? Mm. Um, so if we could break that down because like we're, we're in a world of perpetual chaos. There's no doubt about it. And like no matter if you're studying commerce, science or whatever, everyone's mm. just surrounded by, the, by like an incredibly high amount of thoughts. And you know, some people think that meditation is like the antidote towards like this chaos and the, the idea of depression, anxiety um, being this overpowering of thoughts in our mind. And when these thoughts kind of, you know, they distort our way of thinking, that's when you enter into these states of, of like a plague, right? Um, so like, what's your take on like the v very basic idea of meditation for someone who's never tried it before? It's like brushing your teeth is yeah. something I've, <laughs> it's like something I've heard people say. One day it will be, I think I'm pretty convinced. Yeah. The idea of sitting with yourself, it's pretty simple. And yet, we don't do it for some reason. It's like, you have to exist with yourself all the time. You're the only person. And additionally to that, meditation, which a lot of people kind of simplify as studying the mind, which is actually a very, very complex thing to say. What is it to study the mind? But like, yeah, added to the fact that you live with yourself all the time is the fact that a lot of 
what your life is, is your mind. It's, you know, it's your thoughts, it's your feelings. And there's something to be looked at there, you know. Like, and, you know, I think you were kind of getting at this idea as well that it's the source of a lot of suffering, you know, that, you know, that plague you described. Like, that originates from within, I'm pretty convinced. Like, your world can be on fire, but ultimately it's the way you react to the situation. And it kind of is that, like, meditation is also looking at the way you react to things. Um, so I think it's really important. Um, but also, I don't think it needs the the connotation. You know, you talked about, like, the stereotype of people in the Himalayas meditating, yeah, exactly. wearing the orange robes. And and I think that definitely needs to be questioned. Um, because I, I myself, you know, like, I, I when I started getting into meditation, I was like, well, maybe I need to go into the mountains and do this and that, mm-hmm. spend years in a monastery. I challenge that just like I challenge any idea that too is a kind of construction that's a kind of construction that like we've created in our minds our collective minds and it's not necessarily true like I think you can be as enlightened as anybody living in a busy CBD you know there's no set way to to get a healthy mind to to live a, a well life you have to cultivate your own reality you know, you have to decide what's true for you. Um, but for me, the you know so-called meditation practice is just tuning into yourself and like asking those deeper questions, um, letting all that kind of surface layer bullshit fade away, like those expectations, the voices in your head, the things that you do but you don't really know why you do. Like once that subsides, and generally that happens by like day three on a silent meditation course, then you start to get in and you're like whoa okay this is stuff like this is how my mind works this is these are the responses i have to situations and also memories like memories come up from a long long time ago you know like you'll be on day seven of a retreat and you remember something from like when you were seven years old that you thought you'd never would have remembered and yet there it is and it's triggering some kind of like physiological response and you're like whoa there's something here there's there's like meaning here there's something that i'm carrying with me that i don't need to carry anymore there's so much investigation like human beings are so so complex Mm. and it's scary to engage with that because memories are like often not great you know maybe something horrible happened to you when you were seven but i think once you get through that you know once you once you slay that dragon once you dig that memory up there's some beauty there um and that's life you know that's like that's you becoming who you are when you tune in that deeply so that's that's the world of possibility i guess it's endless isn't it with meditation <laughs> it's, it's big it's right so now. much and like i was i was like doing a bit of reading my on my own because i started meditating ages ago like when i was in high school and i kind of stopped and the problem i had was i always thought i'm not good at it mm-hmm. or i have too many thoughts mm-hmm. in my head and i keep getting distracted and i haven't really got back to it and when i think about think about it it's 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 not even about being good right it's about just being aware right mm-hmm. There's no good or bad. It's just about knowing when you have too much going on or when you don't have enough going on. I think that's a huge barrier for so many people. Um, there's a couple of ways you could think about that. One is that meditation is like a skill. So, like going you know, to the gym. <laughs> kinda, yeah. Like it, it's some people say it's like bicep curls for the brain. Right? Like yeah. that's there's some truth to that. It's you know that that practice of like well every time you get distracted you come back to this point of focus which might be the breath or whatever and. You definitely notice that there's some gains there to be had. Like the more you do that, the better you get it. Coming back to the breath, or even noticing that you've been distracted. So in that sense, that analogy works. But also, the more life-affirming, like unifying idea to have around meditation 
is that it's not about being good at it. It's, so it's not about the practice itself, but it's about the approach you take to the practice. So acceptance is one part of it. You know, you mentioned the word awareness as well. As well. Becoming aware rather than getting caught up in things. And that's, that was kind of profound for me to start to realize is because I always thought meditation had like this really specific technique because, you know, when you go on retreat, you learn the technique, you're, you're doing three days of just anapana, which is just focusing on your breath, and then another seven days on vipassana, which is you're scanning through the body, bodily sensations, and it's a real structured, real rigid, like there's a flow there and there's technique, etc. But more and more these days, I'm letting go of those specificities and just like allowing myself to embody the approach so the, the approach is it could be many many things but one is definitely acceptance one is kind of like dropping back and just being aware detaching yourself but i think that's that word might have the wrong tone it's not like a detachment it's like a dropping back i like because mm -hmm. detachment kind of implies that you care less or something but that's very much not the case i think by dropping back you actually connect more with yourself um yeah there's many other things I'm sure I could say about the, the approach to meditation. But one as well that's important, I think, for modern people is to don't make it a, don't make it like a regime. You know, you don't make it like this real struggle. Because I think a lot of people would be like, man, I didn't meditate 10 minutes this morning. I feel so bad. I've, I've definitely been there. You know, I, I have this routine where I meditate. And if I miss a day of meditation, it's almost like this preconceived idea that my day is not going to be as good or like I'm not going to feel as free. What tips do you have for people out there that, you know, find it hard to find the time or, you know, the day just gets the better of them to actually sit down and just be present? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that, again, is another thought. Mm. You know, the, the thought of, I didn't do my 10 minutes today, my day's going to be horrible because mm. I, I, didn't, I didn't brush my teeth, mm. right? That's a thought. Mm. So you can kind of catch that thought and be like, well, yeah, come back to the present moment. So in the beginning, certainly it can be useful to just have like a, like a point of focus. So you're caught up in the thought and you come back to the breath or whatever it is. Advice for the, like, for the general modern human living in probably the Western society, getting busy. Um, I'd say try and like as much as possible to make it fun. Like try as much as possible to not make it a really difficult thing. I think some people will find it much easier than others to, you know, just find some 10 minutes and sit. And there's simple things that you can do to help you find that structure, like set a time every day that you do it, maybe and then do it when it's most convenient. You know, for me, it's like usually first thing in the morning when there's not many things happening yet. Some people it's after lunch or, you know, before they have a meeting or before they go to bed. I guess you find a time, that's a really simple tip. But also just, yeah, I mean, for the people that struggle really to like find a time to sit, this is, I think, where it becomes particularly pertinent to be like, it's not about the technique. It's not about sitting cross-legged in lotus position and having your eyes closed and your hands, you know, in, in mudra or whatever. It's just, it's about the approach. It's not about this thing. So if you're, if you're really, if you just happen to be like kind of a high energy, maybe wound up person, whatever, maybe your meditation doesn't have to be sitting because you can, you can walk and meditate. I can talk here and be meditating, you know, like, it's about the approach. It's about how like acceptant are you of this current reality? How aware are you of yourself and your surroundings? And I mean, I would even add like how much love do you feel with yourself and for the people around you? It really comes down to this idea of like expression 
and yeah. and I know like you know whether you're talking about bicep curls, you know people have their expression through the gym, people have their expression through music, people have their expression through you know whatever it might be, whether it's you know running, music, uh, writing is mm. a massive thing, mm. and you know for me what's really worked out over the last couple of years is just writing and journaling, and I know you know during these periods where you're silent, you're present. Have you had a chance to sort of sit down and reflect and write quite a bit? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I, I want to flip that for a second. Like, what is your, what is your writing practice look like? What is your journaling? Mine? Yeah. It's, I, I start my day with sort of what I'm grateful for. Um, it's sort of what I do. There's, there's two components to sort of the meditation. There's the meditation where I sit in silence and be present. And then there's the meditation where I visualize and I do this visualization practice where I sort of imagine, for me, routine works quite well. Um, and I know I really like my day structured out, and so I sort of visualize what the day looks like. And on the back of that, it might be, you know, what am I grateful for that's enabled me to follow through with this routine? And it's something I'm starting, you know, slowly putting that into my routine. But um, So you kind of imbue your routine, the, like, the day that you're about to live, with gratitude for every part of that day in a way yeah mm. that sounds pretty powerful yeah no, maybe i should true. try that <laughs> I, I did this I, I i recently tried this thing because i've been reading a bit about positive psychology mm. apparently it's a proven method where if you write three things that went well at the end of the day mm. it does wonders and it can be the smallest things like, like i was thinking what would i do today <laughs> and i just think oh i had a nice coffee even something as small mm. as that if you just focus on the positives mm. It sounds like the most cliche thing ever. And it's like, yeah, I focus on the positives, but writing it down actually makes a difference. And, and it's even like time, like this essence of time. Like we have 24 hours in a day. Sure, you could be sleeping for seven, eight, nine of them. Um, if you've got a busy day, sure. But just that, that pure joy of just having time, you know, and just to sit there in silence and sort of accept that, you know, this day can flow in any way that I like and you have power of that. Uh, so Stefana, tell me, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, I know you, you mentioned you dropped out of your course yeah. and I, I understand that you're doing something with your time now. So I recently started a, a new course in counselling and psychotherapy um, at the Icon Institute. And so this is very related to, you know, kind of what I was touching on before of this idea, like I want to be as present for other people as possible. But I guess underneath that, just like being present, is cultivating wellness. Um, and obviously cultivating wellness with myself is, is the first step, but how can I cultivate more wellness for other people? And given my, my inclination toward exploring the mind, and given my, the, you know, the opinion or the philosophy that I had before mentioned, which was that a lot of your suffering, if not all of it, starts with you. It's, you know, it's about the way you react. So I guess for me, it's counseling and psychotherapy, particularly that psychotherapy part is, well, you want to therapeute something, you want to you improve something, it should be your psyche, it should be your mind, because that's where, that's where all the problems lie. That's a very broad, broad stroke to, mm. to, to paint, but generally speaking, yeah, so it's, it's directly related to, I guess, my purpose, or you know, what the Buddhists call your dharma. Mm. You know, like, for Bottled Up at least, you know, we, we're really driven on this idea of creating conversations and, you know, throughout this whole narrative, you know, there's been this light bulb moment that you've had. You sort of realize that, you know, 
the life that I'm living doesn't align with the values that you know I you know that I want to be living with you know going to the future. Have there been a lot of instrumental people that you know you've come across you know throughout the whole entire journey that you know you've shared that conversation and they've sort of pieced together you know little parts to your narrative and I can only imagine now that you know in psychotherapy you're surrounded by a lot of people you know from different walks of life, um, different backgrounds, different experiences now coming together towards this sort of common objective or common goal. Um, can, you, can you tell us and you know, the audience a little bit about how that's sort of shaped up? Yeah, there's this thing one of my close friends likes to say, um, your vibe attracts your tribe. Mm. I like that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's really true. Like With this course, there's a lot of commonalities that are kind of inherent to the fact that you're doing this course together. Um, one is probably that you've dealt with some crap in your life, you know, and you're, you're keen to understand why and keen to understand how you can help yourself and how you can end up helping other people. So there's that element of it. You kind of, you all kind of share this. There's this mutual understanding, you know, everybody's here with a bit of a baggage or something. Um, then the other thing is that also probably quite introspective. You know, people are probably in this course because they are curious about the psyche and they have spent some time investigating it, but they want to develop more tools, more ways of thinking to better understand their, themselves, their psyche. So there's that introspective element. There was this um, interesting podcast I was listening to and they were talking about your life being a bucket mm-hmm. and controlling and you having the power to control what comes in and what comes out. And you sort of take these snapshots in time and you sort of ask yourself, okay, what's in my bucket now? What's serving me and what's not serving me? And those things that are not serving you, you sort of have that sort of acceptance you were talking about, that sort of understanding that this is, this is not, this is not um, you know, this is not what I want. This is not what's helping me go forward. This isn't helping, you know, my mental state of being. And you take that out. And... You know, it's it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, it's a really simple point. But it's like, you know, you've got a life and put more stuff in it that you like. I think it's such a simple point. And it's like, to kind of relate it back to this current, I would call it a crisis. I think it's fair to say, you know, the depression and anxieties was on the rise and mental health all around is just kind of not great. There's so many things about each individual's life that they know could be better. And it's kind of just like, you know, where, like, how can you cultivate the willpower to just go and do things? Like, to just go and do things that are good for you. Maybe. Mm. And it's like this incredible phenomena, which, you know, the more people, you know, I speak to, and, you know, I'm sure it's the same with you, that there's this link between giving and happiness. <laughs> you know, there's like, the, the more people I speak to, the, the people that have this sense of enlightenment, this sense of, you know, sated joy, um, are the ones that are living a life service are living a life for others, you know, transcending beyond, you know, just doing things for themselves. Um, and I know that's been a massive, massive theme in my life, being able to give back and that sense of joy you see on the other end. Would you almost say that, you know, that that's a ingredient in, you know, why you're doing what you're doing? Cause mm. Yeah, there's, I, I can think of a couple frameworks, at least, that people have developed on... I guess what it is to be happy or what it is to like live a well life, a holistically well life. Tony Robbins, I think, has a pretty good one. And he's got like a six-part recipe for basically living a good life. And one of the key ingredients there is contribution. 
Love, I think, is another one of them. But yeah, contribution, I guess, touches on this idea that you know, giving is going to make you happy. Mm. It's not the only thing that's going to make you happy. It's got to be tempered by other things, and I've definitely been there. I feel like you guys probably would have experienced too. You can give too much, mm. you know. Mm. Um, Forget about yourself. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you might aggrandize that idea you know like you, you lose yourself in it you forget yourself and you, you become so selfless or whatever mm. but you know that's a little bit dreamy mm. i guess a little bit naive but yeah giving is certainly important and i think more for certain people than others mm. maybe you're not gonna be the next martin luther king or you know like some saintly person but you're gonna give in your own way and i think there's a lot of artists who you know they might be quite recluse but they're giving they're giving to their craft mm. um and by celebrating that giving to something that might not be a person might not be a community necessarily mm. but give yourself to something mm. thinking about like what you guys what we we're saying about giving mm. and these theories about like wellness or well-being and like almost every single theory will say like giving is part of it if you give to others you're more likely to feel happy but then on top of that it's also having those close connections, having those like four or five connections really does make that difference. Yeah, there's a cool, um, there's a cool little term, the blue zones. Uh, so blue zones are like these places around the world where there seems to be a lot of people living past 100. Um, and there's like, there's a website, if you just looked up, looked up blue zones, uh, they got a really cool website where they talk about the whole blue zone concept, but also they highlight nine, I think it's nine commonalities across these blue zones. And I guess these commonalities are correlated with longer life and therefore, you know, it might be a good idea to, to do them. And social connections is definitely one of the highest, if not the highest determinant of like longevity. Diet is obviously a big one, exercise, um, but not ex not like going to the gym necessarily, not like running marathons, interestingly. like. The exercises they highlight is incidental lifestyle exercise. It's like the cultures that tend to have a lot of people living above 100 is people who live active lives. You know, they grow their own food, they garden, they, they have to go and pull weeds out of the, the earth and they're just kind of walking around quite a lot. That That's the kind of exercise that seems to be conducive to longevity. And for me, it kind of makes sense because a lot of exercise, quote unquote exercise we do working out is stressful mm. and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, especially if you're especially if you're stressed out about going and you're stressed out while you're there mm. and then your body's under stress afterwards because you, you you know you might do some like high intensity interval training or something and your muscles are real damaged for a time like that might be good for aesthetics or whatever but mm. it's a lot of stress to take in and I'm not going to say it's either good or bad but mm. there's something to be looked at there like maybe it would be better if you just went for a walk around your neighborhood every day or something or maybe if you just did some gardening mm. that would be a better way to hang, handle your body it's all about like how you feel, like some people want to run a hundred kilometers or a hundred miles, some people want to run five, it's all about mm -hmm. what feels right to you and if you're in that right mm -hmm. frame of mind. Because yeah. um, if, you if you think about like what movement does and you link it to mental health, I always thought it's like, oh, you run or you do this, your heart pumps faster mm -hmm. and you, you get like neurotransmitters and you know, you get like this rush of serotonin, right? And that's like, that's all right, but I'm sure I can get that from other ways. But what I've realized is you actually get protective mechanisms mm. from running or any sort of movement, whatever it is, and that... Like immune system boost. Yeah, immune system yeah. boost, and there's proof that yeah. if you go for just like half an hour of exercise a day, mm. you're more likely to be more resilient to depression, anxiety, or whatever mm. in the future. So that kind of goes in line with what you were saying with these blue zones. 
mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a connection there. Yeah, exercise, I think for men these days, especially young men, is, is actually a loaded concept. I mean, I know for myself that being an athlete growing up, um, being used to having, I guess, like an aesthetically ripped body, whatever, you know, like I was fit, that then becomes the objective. Like, so exercise then becomes inherently tied up with aesthetic mm. rather than feeling. And I think really you want feeling to be the, the, the director mm. of how you live your life, not aesthetic. You're not living so that other people are going to find you attractive. Mm. You're living so that you can feel well and maybe feeling well is going to be tied up with being attractive. Mm. But I guess it's like, where do you focus your attention here? Mm. And I know for the longest time, exercise for me, especially when I stopped soccer, was just a task. Because soccer was, you know, for a lot of the time fun and I did it just because mm. I loved the game. But after that, I went for runs because I wanted to maintain the shape of my body or whatever. And that feeded into my superficial sense of, uh, sense of confidence. Mm. But it's all hollow. Like I, I really think that it can be destructive too when you exercise because you have to or because you're obligated to. It becomes just another idea that you've taken on and haven't scrutinized yourself. Mm. You haven't asked yourself, does this actually make me feel good? Mm. Like a lot of people I think just kind of accept the fact that exercise isn't fun, like working out isn't pleasurable. They just accept that, well, you do this because you feel good afterwards. You get the runner's high, you get the endorphin hit. I really question that. I think like if you live your life that way, it's almost synonymous to I'm going to work now and retire later. That's really the sentiment behind it. It's like I'm going to suffer now because I get rewards later. But that's not how life works. Life works in the moment. And that's, that's some like incredibly powerful stuff. You know, we've talked on exercise and fitness, um, also creativity and, you know, this, this idea where letting go of expectations and living a life that's aligned with your values. I sort of want to flip, I, want, I sort of want to flip it around. Um, you're 22. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice, you know, as, you know, as, as we go from, you know, 22 to 23 and then you become 30, 40, what, what advice would you have to your future self? Um, and especially for the audience that's listening as well, what's, what's one sort of takeaway you could give them um, you know, as they're navigating these incredibly difficult times? Keep on living. Um, keep on doing you. Don't compromise. Don't fall into normality, to mundane. <laughs> I'm hoping my physical state's going to still be pretty good at that point, so I, I won't have to worry about staying active or anything like that. Stay ripped. <laughs> Stay ripped. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Do there's yeah. This actually ties into a concept. There's a very controversial dude, Bikram, Bikram Chowdhury, which was last name. Um, yeah, he he developed this yoga system, Bikram Yoga, but, which I actually did from a very young age. My dad got me into it. But he has a book actually, and in the book I skimmed over it recently, and he talks about stages in life, and he says that very loosely there's one of the stages is where you're kind of young and you're self-absorbed just naturally there's this thing you need to worry about in terms of your own self but as you get older you kind of gravitate more and more towards serving service for others mm-hmm. i think when i'm 30 or 40 i definitely want to be really hitting the nail on the head you know like i feel like at that point i want to have established myself and come into my own and i can just focus on doing the stuff that i'm here to do rather than like working out what is that stuff but at the moment i definitely feel like i'm in this kind of exploration phase the advice for, for, for the listenership, I guess. Um, I, I'm apprehensive. 
because I, I know that everybody's is so unique and I don't know if I can do like a sweeping bit of advice for the general populace um, but if I guess my story is anything to go by then do you right like you're the best judge of your life and your values and how your circumstances your situation aligns with those things and don't compromise um, like you've only got this this one opportunity to live the best life poetry again that's beautiful <laughs> yeah I think that, that just sums up sums up your journey very nicely when you're 15 you had to battle it out with your parents almost but then even when you went to this point of depression you found yourself really and now obviously you seem a lot happier and you're on this amazing journey. Um, so thanks so much for letting us come into your house and <laughs> spend a couple of hours on this Sunday. Even, even though we've known, we've known each other for quite some time, um, this really goes to show the power of a conversation. You never know what people are up to or what they're going through, um, especially when you're talking about burnout. Um, such an incredibly important thing in this, this day and age. But um, on that note, um, thank you again. Um, this is this is us signing out. Yep. Yep. Sunny signing off. Bonjour signing off. Stefano signing off. And that was Stefano Gunawan. And I don't know about you, but there's definitely a very calm and scintillating voice that he has that kind of just puts you at ease. And before you know it, that's 50 minutes done and you're kind of scratching your head wanting more. <laughs> um, but without further ado, there's something we didn't touch on during that conversation and that's the men's circle. So Stefano and a friend um, during this whole lockdown period have come together and they're leading a men's circle where, you know, basically the premise behind it is deepening the connection amongst men um, you know, on an equal ground to share what's on their heart. And we kind of get lost in this world, um, you know, in a frantic world, um, so fast paced that, you know, we actually don't really check in with each other and our brothers and, you know, what's actually on our heart. So, you know, the sorrows, the struggle, the highs, the lows. And the idea behind the men's circle is for a bunch of men to come together and just share, you know, in a safe environment what's been going on in their life and in a way sort of ask advice from other men in that circle if they've gone through something as well and, and what advice they would give. So consider this an open invitation to everyone, you know, that's listening to our podcast. We'll be putting it in the show notes below. So feel free to reach out to either ourselves at, at Bottled Up or Stefano directly. Those details will be in the show notes. They're currently held twice monthly via Zoom um, by Stefano and his friend and once COVID permits in person as well. So make sure to stay in touch because the most important thing we can do during a time like this is you know, staying connected and feeling connected. Without further ado though, as for next week, we'll be taking a break from the mic um, and hopefully putting a bit of the shine back on some of the past guests that we've had what we've learned and what we've taken away from those conversations and putting a bit more attention towards that men's circle. So if you are keen on getting involved, there will be one also being held next Sunday. So they're currently being held twice monthly as well. So until next time, stay tuned. We've got some exciting things coming up and some exciting guests lined up as well. Stay tuned, stay connected, and we'll see you on the flip side. Much love, bottled up.